Welcome! You found the Out of the Ordinary podcast, where we believe that the very best stories grow out of the soil of ordinary life. I'm Christy Purifoy. And I'm Lisa Jo Baker. Lisa Jo, a few of my favorite ordinary things are reading a book in the hammock, picking strawberries at a local farm, and pulling out the swimsuits for one more summer. Ooh, yes, good one. Some of mine are afternoons at the next-door neighbor's pool, stopping for ice cream cones with sprinkles and s'mores around the fire pit. We are all in for such a treat this summer because Lisa Jo has a new book available at the end of July. It's a love letter to ordinary life called The Middle Matters, Why That Extra Ordinary Life Looks Really Good on You. This incredible book is like a magic mirror. It showed me just how marvelous my ordinary life already is. And these hilarious and honest essays that are so much like our conversations on this podcast, Lisa Joe invites us to take a good look at our middles and gives us permission to embrace them beyond what the media, the mirror, the magazines, or our teenagers might say. Through gutsy, beautiful storytelling, she admits out loud what most of us are thinking about marriage, parenting, the bathroom scale, and our struggles with doubt and faith. Chrissy, you are the kindest of friends, and to all of my friends who are listening, I want to give you a special gift if you pre-order the book. If you go to themiddlemattersbook.com and find your favorite retailer and place an order before July 23rd, we have curated the most delightful pre-order gift bundle for you. It includes a $10 gift card to dayspring.com that comes with free shipping if you're in the U.S., three chapters of the audiobook as read by me, a behind-the-scenes photo album that describes each of the essays in the book, and then, this might be my favorite part, eight secret podcast sessions with me. We're calling this series Meet Me in the Middle, Confessions of a Carb-Loving Author. So friends, just go to themiddlemattersbook.com, place your order, and then follow the instructions to claim your gifts. And now to our conversation today. So we see our kids watch all these movies about superheroes, right? Uh huh. Did your kids get into the whole like Marvel and Avengers? And they all haven't those? yet. I think if my boys were a little older, maybe they they will, but not yet. But like your basic superheroes, oh of yeah, course, oh, right. Yeah. And so my boys were really into the Marvel series and the Avengers and. Yada, yada, yada. But it makes me laugh because I think we have all these movies about people with secret identities and past lives and <laughs> superpowers. <laughs> but I can't help it. As a person who sees the world through stories, I often feel like that is how life is, though. I mean, our huh. lives are a lot like that. All of us have pasts. All of us have stories that not everybody knows, all the background detail, the origin story. Mm-hmm. I think. I mean, we all live a good origin story. Everybody has one. And I can't help sometimes just wanting to pick around the edges of our friendship (laughs) to keep going back to your origin story. (laughs) Because I remember parts of it that I've forgotten. So, for example, I am always intrigued by the fact that you had this whole other life where you were a professor. And would you you, you have said a professor of English literature? Yes. Yes. That, you're right. And it's easy for me now to say, well, that, that life 
didn't last that long, but it did actually. That was and, a big chunk and of when my you life. Were in it, it was intense. I right. mean, that was a big deal. It was most most of those years were spent as a graduate student, so working on the PhD, preparing to be and intending to be and planning on being an <laughs> English professor. And what was your field that you were studying? What was your degree? I uh, I was studying modern British and Irish literature. So I was reading and writing about writers like Virginia Woolf and. James Joyce and T.S. Eliot and Yeats and yeah, they feel like long lost friends or something. Wow, I haven't thought <laughs> see, about them in a while. See, a good origin story, you guys. I want to dig into Christie's origin story today because we're in the season, you and I, where we are releasing books and I think a lot about authors and I think about how did they arrive where they are and hmm. what was the journey like for them and what did they learn about being a reader when they were a teacher? Because hmm. I think... We just come to books a lot of the time and we just pick them up and we read. We don't give any thought to the author or what they were thinking when they wrote the book. We just dive right in. Mm. And so I thought about you now because you are one of my favorite teachers to me personally when I'm reading books or books I don't like. I mean, our conversation just recently about the books that shaped us yes. and how we talked about The Secret Garden. and I how loved I, that episode. How I yes. hated that. Yes, that, <laughs> that <was> book. <laughs> but when I listen to you teach me why you uh, love the book, it's changed how I think about right, the book now. Right. And we had a bunch of readers or listeners write in and say, I, I got so many messages on Instagram from people who grew up with The Secret Garden and I also did too. loved it. <laughs> I did, and too. then I was like, "You're all wrong." No, <laughs> I wasn't thinking that. Oh, uh, you're right, Lisa Joe. I really was for those years because even when I was a graduate student, I was teaching. So, like most PhD students, I also uh, right. either was a course assistant or I taught for a number of years at the School of the Art Institute in Chicago, which was a great job. I loved my students there. They were art students, so they even if English wasn't really their thing, poetry maybe wasn't their thing. They were curious, interested students. So yeah, so I was always teaching. But you've just reminded me of a story. So one day during graduate school, I was sitting in this little coffee shop in Hyde Park, which was our neighborhood um, in Chicago. And I guess I was working, I was reading, and this older man in a little armchair nearby struck up a conversation at one point. And I, I can't remember why or how it happened, but what I do remember is that he must have asked me uh, what I studied or what I was working on. And so okay. I explained, I'm uh, you know, working on a PhD in English literature. And he said to me, I don't remember the exact words. Okay. It was my guess is he's like, how are you going to pay your bills with that or uh, something? No, he should have said that. <laughs> <laughs> what he said to me was something along the lines of, I don't get that because you have all of these teachers teaching students, let's say about Virginia Woolf's novel, Mrs. Dalloway, but they don't write novels like Virginia Woolf. Oh, they're they're right. teaching about things they don't do. So how can they really understand it? And and basically he was he was undermining my whole <laughs> you know, my whole uh, life purpose at that point and telling me that in and he didn't use these words, but I think essentially he was telling me I'm kind of a fraud. I'm kind of leeching off of the <laughs> true writers and the true artists. Oh. And I'm just teaching about this thing that I'm not actually doing. And oh, Lisa Joe, I I remember in that moment thinking he's wrong, but I don't I can't in the moment put my finger That's on really it. It's really interesting because if you think about like 
you know, professor of mathematics, he does math, right? right. Or a professor who teaches at medical school, he's right. a doctor. That is very interesting. So, but this is what so I realized soon it? after. Okay. I, this is what I wish I had told that man. So he assumed that I was teaching my students how to write like Virginia Woolf. Oh, right. And so, of course, That's I am not, not equipped to do that because and I don't want not, to learn that. Right, That's right. not why they're there. <laughs> no, no. I was teaching my students how to read oh, Virginia Woolf. That's so good. That's so good. Which, let me just say, is a hard lesson because it is, it's it difficult is. to read. And the thing is, it's worth learning because then there is treasure and there's beauty and there is there are right. ideas to receive in those novels that over years of learning how to read, I have received. And I would love to pass those treasures on to other readers. But it is, um, it's we're not born knowing how to that read is fascinating. stream of consciousness modernist right? novels. Well, we're you not. Know, you know, that reminds me because one of my favorite classes I took took in college was called Biblical Narrative, and uh-huh. it was How to Read the Bible. Uh, yes. And isn't that interesting that the Bible is one of those books we just pick up and assume, oh, I'll just read it and apply yes. you know, my own life experiences to it. And sure, the Bible is such a multifaceted book that that does, that can work. The Holy Spirit, of course, speaks to us. However, it's also a work of literature right. in a certain cultural context that had very specific understandings of the imagery used in the Bible. And this class, Biblical Narrative, was designed to help us look at the Bible as one cohesive story Mm -hmm. and not to just pick and choose, but to understand anywhere we're jumping in Mm -hmm. is related to a beginning, a middle, and an end. And you have to understand where you are in the story Mm -hmm. and who the characters are and how they are impacted by the characters that came before. Like, and that's why it's called biblical narrative. Like essentially that it's it is one narrative Mm -hmm. and that all of these characters are moving in a certain trajectory because of a God. And so it just, it introduced the Bible in a way I'd never thought about it. So in the same way that you have to learn how to read Virginia Woolf, you take so much more from the Bible when someone has taught you how to be a good reader of the Bible. Exactly. And aside, I looked it up. Um, If you want to go back to our episode where we talk about The Secret Garden and a ton of other books Mm. that shaped us, children's books that shaped us, that's episode 33 called, These Are the Books That Made Us. Quick break, listeners. We'd love to shine a spotlight on friends of the show who help make these conversations possible. This week, we're so delighted to partner with the folks at Fab Fit Fun because four times a year they deliver joy in a box. Fab Fit Fun is a seasonal subscription box with a full size beauty, fitness, fashion, and lifestyle products. Lisa Joe, I opened the box during a visit from my mom, and within five minutes, we'd both decided to subscribe. You know, I had the exact same reaction because I actually called you to gush after I opened my box because I was so in love with their cute little rose trinket tray that currently lives right next to my bed. Lisa Joe, would you believe that my favorite item was actually the black and white gym bag? You know, I never stepped foot in a gym, but the bag was so cute and so practical and so foldable. I had a serious internal struggle with myself whether to keep it or give it to my teenage daughter who actually does go to the gym. Each box retails for $49.99, but always has a value of over $200. My new discovery was the skin and nail care products, which I don't typically use, but I'm so in love with now that I have to hide them from my daughter. You guys, there are some really amazing brands in these boxes. And if you use our coupon code, Ordinary10, 
at fabfitfun.com, you can get 10 bucks off your first box. Yep, ordinary 10 at fabfitfun.com for your own customizable box of joy. So that's where we started as kids, but you're right, as we get Mm -hmm. older and we're reading more complex books, part of getting the most out of those books is understanding how to read them. That's right. And, you know, if there's one thing I learned in my years in graduate school is that different books, different genres, we can say, Mm. um, and different authors want to be read in different ways. They're asking Hmm. us to read them in different ways, and they're giving us clues about how to read them. Can you give some examples? Because now um, I'm really curious. Compare Virginia Woolf to, I don't know, who's in, oh, oh, Louise Penny. Okay. Okay. So Louise Penny, she... um, well, first explain who she is. Right. So she's our favorite. Yeah, we, she's a she's mystery, mystery writer we love. Writer who's she's still her, living. Yes, yes. Yes. So Louise Penny is writing books that where the plot isn't as important as it is in, isn't the everything that it is in some thriller books, gotcha. let's say. So if you okay. take like a psychological thriller novel, mm-hmm. it might be all about the plot. What happens next? Who did it? Who's, you know, who, you you open this conversation talking about secret identities. You know, what what, what <laughs> yes, is the, se- yes. you know, what secret identities are operating in this story? So it's all plot driven. And a lot of mysteries and thrillers are that way. I think you and I love Louise Penny because the plot is important and it keeps you turning pages and you do want to know who, who did, did it, it right? Yes. You want to know who did it. That's why I love mysteries. But Louise Penny adds this other layer of beautiful, setting, the place matters, Mm. the characters, because they continue from book to book matter. Um, The ideas matter. She's kind of a philosophical writer, and Mm -hmm. so she puts a lot of ideas about uh, the nature of evil and love and community and relationships, Mm. and so I think that's also why we love her. But I will say about Louise Penny, because it's a comfy mystery novel, she makes those ideas very accessible. Right. They're 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 right, right. there on the surface. Um and and that's a I, I love that. That's a lovely mm. thing. But that's not the only way to write a novel. Mm. So Virginia Woolf, in contrast, has all kinds of things going on, but they they aren't as accessible. And 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 the value of that is that you have this, I think this poetic um, lyrical world she's creating, and you as a reader are really invited in to do um, hard, satisfying work of thinking about those symbols, of noticing the rhythms in the language in order mm. to dig deep, deep down to pull up you know, the ideas that she's exploring. I think Virginia Woolf's novels ask more of us as a reader. Mm. And that's not a better or worse thing. It's just right. a different thing. Right. And it's a different way of reading. And it uh, one thing, for instance, that's different, Louise Penny, it's it, okay. Different books ask us to read them at different speeds. Right. So that thriller like wants that. you to turn pages yes, as fast yes, as possible. Right. Louise Penny slows you down a little bit. Yes. And so you do move pretty quickly, but you're you she has slowed you down. Virginia Woolf wants you to read her novel. At a dead stop is how it feels to very me. slowly. <laughs> like a poem. Ta- yes. Weighing each word, noticing right. each word. Um you could spend a long time reading Mrs. Dalloway. That is the most helpful description I have ever heard, honestly, <laughs> about the difference between how we read certain books. Because I feel that way when I read your books. When uh-huh. I read Placemaker, for me, that's a slow read. Yes. I know. And I take that as a compliment. Yes, I know that you do. <laughs> and because I always feel like, actually, I, I hope you don't mind me saying this because you and I have talked about this privately. When I ta- when I compare my writing and your writing, uh-huh. 
I think I've said to you this before, you want primarily, so not only, Mm -hmm. but primarily you want to make your reader think. Yes. You want them to make connections. You want them to understand how you're not just writing about a farmhouse. You're writing about the people who lived here before. Mm -hmm. Then beyond that, you're writing about the plants they brought to this Mm -hmm. area. And beyond Mm -hmm. that, Mm -hmm. you're writing about historically what this area was like Mm -hmm. for plant life Mm -hmm. and what has changed. And then you're adding the layer of how does that connect back to me now here in this Mm -hmm. century. Mm -hmm. You want people to think. And so it requires me to slow down. And in the thinking, I'm then going to feel, right? I'm mm-hmm. going to feel deep yes. heart things, but it's through the act. The So the way I'm getting to the treasure is through my mind. I'm yes. thinking in order yes. to get these nuggets that you've buried there for me, but yes. I have to work to get to them, which is what makes reading it very satisfying, but it's slow. I mm-hmm. need to slow down. When mm-hmm. I pick up your book, I know Okay, this isn't like let's. I want to binge read something tonight. Right, right. right? No, <laughs> this is like savor. This is savor reading, not uh-huh. binge reading. Uh-huh. And when I look at my own books, particularly the middle matters, that's the one coming out now. I know I, I totally did that. I plugged it. Sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry, not sorry. Um, but I, when I write these, my primary goal is to get you to feel something. Yes, I want you to feel what I felt. When I wrote that. Uh-huh. So Christy, I always feel like, writes books like a puzzle she wants to help you put together. I write books like a memory I want you to step into and feel what I felt. Mm-hmm. And so I'm taking a photograph with words, and then I'm letting you step into the photograph and experience the feeling in that moment. Mm-hmm. And so The Middle Matters is a collection of essays that are accessing really meaningful moments for me that were high in big feelings, whether it was negative or it was positive. I want you to step into it. And it was so satisfying because my 13-year-old, there is a bunch of essays about parenting a teen. And so, of course, I had to let him read them. He was my first reviewer. (gasps) Your first reviewer? I love it. He was my first reviewer and the one I was the most nervous about his opinion. Because as I told him, no pressure, Jackson, but if you don't like these... Like half of my book is gone. I don't know okay? what I'll do. <laughs> what am I going to do? <laughs> and uh, and I pay for your bread and butter with these books, so we're going to go hungry. Yeah, no, I didn't put that much pressure on him, but I was thinking it. Um, so I printed them out on like you know there was no book yet. I just printed out word document for him of all these essays. I stapled them together, gave them to him. It was actually last summer, and he went and sat out on the deck and read. And I was terrified. I wow. paced back and forth like a nervous person in a delivery room (gasps) waiting for my kid to come and tell it to me. And he came back in finally, and he just walked up behind me and put his arms around me and buried his head in me. And he said, Mom, it's so good. He goes, Mom, it's not just good because the writing's good. It's good because you really made me feel your feelings. That is the expression he used. And I have never felt more deeply affirmed (laughs) in a review. And he had tears in his eyes. And he said, even though it happened to me, mom, because it's his story, he experienced it through my point of view. Right. And he accessed my emotions in that moment. And it moved him. Can we just stop right here and say how excellent a writer you must be to have uh, allowed a 12-year-old boy to feel your feelings as a mother and life giver and caretaker. And I can say that because I've read the book and I know you're that good of a writer. (laughs) He got to step into my shoes. Wow. And and it is that is so interesting because 
I realized that that is what I wanted the reader to get. Yeah. I wanted the reader to experience that. And learning to be a good reader is worth taking the time. And actually, my Jackson, I've been teaching him for years how to be a reader. So, for example, in the past, I've sometimes taken books. You know, there's some books that do just such an excellent job with the first page of a book. Mm-hmm. First page is important. It sets the scene. It mm-hmm. lets you know what kind of book it's going to be. Are you mm-hmm. going to slow down? Is there going to be a mystery? Like, you know, Louise Penny will often start with some shocking statement, you know, a body was discovered or, you know, Gamache was filled with dread when he was waiting outside this house in a snowstorm, having been summoned to a mystery meeting. Mm -hmm. Ooh, I want to read what's next, Mm -hmm. you know. Christy will begin with place and roots. You suddenly feel embedded somewhere. I'm going to often begin with some kind of deep resonating heart emotion that I want you to step into. And so I gave to Jackson one time two books that were both on the topic of friendship. And, you know, there are wonderful books out there on friendship, many, many, many. And I said, read this book's first paragraph and then read this book's first paragraph and explain to me which one is better and why. Okay. Because there is a better way to do it. And he immediately told me which one he preferred. And when I asked him why, he said, well, when I read this other one, I felt like she was standing there teaching me about friendship. But when I read the second one, I felt like I was with her and she was showing me what friendship looked like. He gets it. Yes. And so, but that is part of the experience of learning how to be a good reader. Mm. And so, we've taken this huge little rabbit trail and let's bounce back now to the beginning where you were talking about teaching how to help people read Mm -hmm, Virginia mm -hmm. Woolf. And how interesting that that fella in a coffee shop, by criticizing you, (laughs) helped you crystallize what it is you do. You weren't helping them to write like Virginia Woolf. You're helping them to read read Virginia Woolf. Yeah, yeah. I'm remembering, like, so hearing you tell the story of how well you taught your son and that you even had this desire to teach him. Uh, to discern, you know, the books he's reading in this way reminds me that you have your, I'm remembering, you have your own classroom well, experience, Lisa Jo. It's like miles apart from yours. So there's Christy with her PhD from University of Chicago teaching, you know, smarty, smarty pants in Chicago. Um, and, you know, you're really, you're t- teaching a traditional college student, right? Like they're primarily 18, 20-year-olds, uh-huh. right? At that time, yes. And like yes. what level of class would that have been? Intro Intro classes or more 200 level, 300 level? I was teaching first year college students, first year usually, college students. sometimes second year. So, like, yeah, like 18, 90, yes. 20. Mm-hmm. So, I was teaching in rural Michigan at a community college, primarily older students who were t- returning to school for an education. So, like 40, 50 yeah. year old. And it was such an interesting experience. Number one, I loved it. It's one of the most fun experiences I ever had because it was these non-traditional students. And so their expectations were different. Their life experiences were different. They also brought, in my opinion, a lot more discipline to the table than your average Mm, 18 or 19 year old, which Mm -hmm. I also had in my class because they had life experience. They'd learned to balance jobs and deadlines and responsibilities. And so I would have moms tell me, you know, Mrs. Baker, here's my paper. Um, I just, it's not quite what I hoped it would be. I was up all night at the hospital with my sick kid, but yet they've still turned in their six page essay. (laughs) Wow. And then I'd have an 18 year old who's like, I just didn't really understand the assignment, Mrs. Baker. I don't know. Can I have a few more weeks? And I'm like, (laughs) no, buddy, you weren't at a hospital all night. 
yours is now late. <laughs> but so there I was teaching students who a lot of them were there for HVAC. So that's that heating and cooling degree you can come. It's like a technical degree. Sure. But for some reason, they were required to take my intro to English literature class. Wow. So whether they wanted to or not, wow. it was required. So I taught a three-hour, it was a seminar class, three-hour class. And it was primarily filled with people who were there not to study English literature. So the opposite of your experience. And what that was that like? Was so interesting because here were folks who had never had an opportunity necessarily to sit down and yeah. get into poetry or plays or reading a sonnet. But we did all of it. Mm. We did, I mean, one of my favorite exercises we did. <laughs> I remember this this class. They're so dear to me. Uh, we did slam poetry. Really? I showed this group, and I remember clearly like there's this 50-year-old HVAC guy who would arrive every day and like cut off denim jeans and, you know, a white tank top. And he was so funny. On the first day of class, I was doing like a free word association with them to try to understand like where do, where do people fall on the spectrum of their, you know, their intro to, to English anywhere, you yes. know, like what have they done? What have they studied? And so I was saying, just yell out when I say a word, yell out what you associate with it. You know, <laughs> let's just get some discussion going. Let's loosen it up. And so I was yelling out words like, you know, essays, poetry. And I yelled out, you know, like English literature. And my HVAC dude from the back of the class yelled out, passionate hatred. <laughs> Oh, no. I said, well, I tell you what, as long as you bring passion to my class, we are going to do just fine. And then we did slam poetry and I showed them clips of, you know, the finals, slam poetry finals. They're so amazing to watch mm. and so fantastic. And then they had, were divided into groups and were actually given the assignment to come up with like a poem of their wow. own. And my class got so into it really? and they performed their slam poetry wow. poems for us. And it was such fun. Fun because here I had a group of learners who had never really had that intense experience of discovering what it was like to be a reader who accesses the text at mm. a whole nother level, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. who peels back the layers, mm -hmm. who sees that there's all this treasure that you don't get if you're just at a surface reading. Right. And it was very, very satisfying for me because I love English literature. I love poetry. I love plays. And it was like taking people into my favorite candy store and Aww. saying, wait, 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 do you think this is boring? It's not. It's chocolate covered. You know, it's so <laughs> wonderful. And um, we just had such fun. They asked really great questions that I didn't expect. They helped me look at the text in a very new way. Mm. Um, I had to be very creative in how I taught because you want to help people who aren't there for English literature, um, you know, not be bored out of their minds for three hours. And we just, I just remember it was a blast to do together. But what was funny is it's small town, this the town we were in is called Owasso, Michigan. It was a community college that had a lot of campuses throughout the Midwest. And uh, it's where I was. It's called Baker College. And um, I taught these classes there. I taught a speech class as well. And But what was funny is my uh, we had just moved to Michigan from South Africa, where we'd been for two years. So I think my South African accent was more pronounced than it normally is. Okay. <laughs> and I laughed so hard because I had a review 
after, you know, each class, there's student evaluations. Right. I remember it well. <laughs> and the dean of the English department was so kind. He sat with me and he said, you know, your reviews have been really wonderful. We love having you here. Thank you for teaching. And, but he was laughing and he said, the, the only negative reviews you got, and I'll read one of them to you so you can understand where they're coming from. And I was like, oh no, you know, I got negative reviews. What, what was the criticism? <laughs> he said, the direct quote was, Mrs. Baker constantly mispronounces words. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it was so great. And he just said, you know, we don't get a lot of accents around mm. here in Owasso, Michigan. <laughs> and um, it was so funny and really special to be in a class where I got to step into a world different than where I just come from. You know, there mm. I was in South Africa, half a world away, into a subject that most people, for them, it felt like a foreign language, you know, foreign country. And those two things came together in the classroom. Oh, I love it. Thinking too, so those rev- it's interesting, those reviewers, um, they're... Their point of view wasn't invalid, but... Right, because I did mispronounce the words. And yet they weren't taking into account who you were and where you came from. They weren't paying enough attention to you, really. Right, right. You know, they weren't... They were thinking about how it impacted them. Exactly. They weren't looking at it. But maybe I need to understand, maybe much like approaching Virginia Woolf's book, right? Right, They weren't thinking like, wait, is there more to this story than I'm getting on the surface level? Exactly. It's like someone who might leave... Oh, oh, one of the funniest things you can do is to go on a a book-selling site like Amazon.com where it has all these book reviews and look up a classic, an acknowledged classic work of literature <laughs> yes. and then read the yes. reviews the one star reviews <laughs> I read, exactly read Go the read virginia wolf's one star reviews yeah <laughs> and of course you know people are saying like it put me to sleep and it's so boring and because you know they're very much focused on themselves and their own right. experience and that's not in invalid it's not a bad thing to do because that's the first layer we sure. bring to a book Absolutely. is our own perspective Absolutely. like to a class where there's a Professor teaching, you bring how you hear her. Absolutely. But, you know, there are other, um, I would say, reading experiences available. And especially if we're someone who values storytelling and values the the unique stories that others are living and that they offer the world, it can be really wonderful to learn how to um, enter into a, into, into a story with our eyes on the, the author and their mm. perspective and their background and to ask ourselves, what is it that they are trying to do? And then mm. and then how well do they, they accomplish, accomplish that? Yes, yeah, you I know love what, that. what what is the purpose? What purpose do they seem to have for this book? And and have they have they met that? And sometimes we don't as authors. Right. Sometimes, sometimes we, we miss the mark. Right. Sometimes we set a challenge for ourselves, an artistic challenge or um, you know, an intellectual challenge and we and we don't quite meet it. And I think that sort of critical response um, then is is necessary. Like this is something else I learned from my from my years uh, in in academia and in teaching is that criticism, it's easy for us to say in the world, critics don't matter. It's the creators who matter, the right, makers right, who matter. Right. Um, but criticism itself, if it's done well and thoughtfully and wisely, is such a gift offered to the world because it it can be a way of of teaching, of helping others understand works of art or how right. to approach works of art. Um, so criticism, I think, is is in itself an art form and a, and a wonderful thing to um, to create. So, 
I mean, so <laughs> you, so I'm, I actually got distracted for a second because I'm looking at my phone trying uh-huh. to pull up some reviews because I oh. think it's actually helpful to oh, share some. Okay. But you need to, I was hoping though that you would first share uh-huh. your, you were telling me beforehand that review you left when before you were oh, really yes, an author yeah. and you were leaving a review. That's right. So I'm not going to give it away. You okay, share okay. that. Yeah, I was telling you this story and that's really what launched us into this conversation. I was remembering one time a couple years ago, um, and I think it was before I'd ever published a book myself. I left a review of a mystery novel I had read on Goodreads. Mm. So some of our listeners may use that platform to track their reading or to find book recommendations. And so I left a review of this book. It was a, a new release and I had enjoyed it. I hadn't loved it unconditionally. It hadn't changed my life. <laughs> yes. There was a few little quirky things I didn't really appreciate about it, but mostly I thought he had set out to write a fun, entertaining, thoughtful um, period piece of a mystery novel, and he'd done it. And so I left a good review with something um, you know, funny about enjoying that book with a cup of tea by the fire because it was that kind of book. And then later, I got a little notification that the author <gasps> of that book oh, wow. had le- had starred my review. That is so well. I, as an author, that I didn't even know you're allowed to do that. Now I'm curious and know. like want to go yeah. and leave thank you stars right, right. for people who leave That's kind true. reviews. And I think probably a lot of people don't realize that most writers are reading. The reviews, the reviews, even though we tell ourselves we really shouldn't, we yeah, do, we cannot yeah. help it. And so he clearly was reading his reviews, and it just had never occurred to me that he would read my review. And afterwards, I remember thinking, wow, he, of course, he's a real person. Right. He's a, he's a real writer who right. wrote this book, who just released it. It was a new novel. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm so glad that I didn't nitpick, that I didn't put every little thing, yes. you know, asking this book to be some grand, you know, <laughs> the best mystery novel ever. No, I, you know, I was just honest. I had enjoyed it. It was fun. And, you know, end of story. And he'd appreciated that. But I remember thinking, oh my goodness, it never occurred to me that he's a person, he's a person and he would yeah. read this. And oh, I yeah, think that I really learned. changes how we approach it because, yes, I mean, A, remembering the author as a person and B, remembering that just because a story doesn't immediately connect with who I am and where I am mm-hmm. doesn't mean it's a bad book, right? You know, and that right. what can I, as a reader, how can I be a good reader in order to dig into that book to take from it, mm-hmm. to learn from that author? Mm-hmm. And it's why, so I found this review I was looking up because it really moved me. I, it was a very beautiful um, example of doing exactly that. Okay. So part of what's scary for authors, there are many things, you guys, that are scary for authors. <laughs> many, 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 many. One of them is that uh, readers can actually request early copies of an author's book and leave a review then before mm. the book has even come out. That's mm-hmm. so terrifying. Um, but one of the reviews I have been reading that I read um, about The Middle Matters, which comes out in July... It's from a reviewer. I'm even going to say her name. It's Liz because she left such a thoughtful review. So I'll read the review because I think it's the perfect illustration of exactly what we're talking oh, about good. here. Okay. And as a as a writer, it means so much to mm. have a reader pay enough attention to not just who she is, but who the author is, but then also to what the book is trying to accomplish and that she is paying attention to say, did the book accomplish mm. that? Not just did it accomplish it for me, mm. but is it accomplishing what it set out to do, whether I'm the direct target audience or not? Okay. So this is what she says. 
It's by Liz, and it says, Lisa Jo Baker's The Middle Matters is an enjoyable, encouraging, and engaging read. While I didn't fit her target audience, middle-aged women, since I'm 27 years old, I still enjoyed reading through Baker's anecdotes, wisdom, and advice on living your best life while moving through your middle-aged years. Baker makes an excellent argument on why the middle years matter. Though I couldn't relate to much of what was said in the book, I could take it and store it in my brain for when I reach those middle years. Overall, it was a wonderful, enjoyable read. I definitely recommend to wives, mothers, and other women currently in their middle years or to those who are quickly approaching them. That is lovely. Well done, I mean, Liz. So as her Thank professor, you. wouldn't you give her a really yes. great grade on this? I would give her an A plus on that because she wasn't asking the book to be something she necessarily needed or wanted. She wasn't asking the book to be a book for women in their late 20s if it wasn't that book. And so she was assessing the book on its own merits right? and thinking critically about what is this book trying to accomplish? Does it accomplish it? And then who maybe who is it I, really for? Yes, who would be the ideal yes. reader for that book? And I well just think done. that's such a generous review. And it's not a five-star review. She gave four out of five. That's fine. Everything about this review is what you would hope as a writer, a reader takes from your book. Mm. That even if it's not exactly where they are in their life, they're able to say, oh, but I see the value. I see mm. what she was trying to accomplish. And it's, it changes me as a reader, too, when I approach other people's books, when I approach novels that maybe I really didn't enjoy, mm. but I'm able to say, but I see what the writer was trying to do in this mm. novel, and I and I, I appreciate that. Mm. And it's changed me, um, especially when I leave reviews for other people, too, that I think I really love this idea of, A, what you learned, remembering the person is a real person, and then B, saying, but I'm critiquing whether they did their job as a writer, but I need to be sure I do my job as a reader. Yeah. There's actually a responsibility that comes there with is. the reading, too, yeah, if you're right. going to leave a review. And I think this uh, this whole topic isn't just about books and isn't just about reviews that mm. pop up on Amazon yeah. and Goodreads. It's also about relationships mm-hmm. and how we receive the stories that others uh, share with us. I think there's something to be learned in um, accepting stories that might be very different from our own and entering into another yeah. person's experience. So, I'm, so here's an example, and it's wrapped in a mini review of your book. Oh no, no! And <laughs> so, so you guys, immediately I'm nervous. My stomach actually dropped a little nervous. bit. It's the don't weirdest reaction, even though I trust Christy completely. You just can't help it. So it's easy to think that the book we want or the friend we want uh. is a person that we have everything in common with. Interesting. So one thing um, that's different, well, there's many things that are different about you and me, but one thing that's different just in terms of our families and our family culture is that your family- I know where this is going. I'm excited now. Good, good. Your family (laughs) um, is a a sporty Uh, family, a sports-loving family. So much. And let me just say, I know what you're going to say, so I'm going to (laughs) just add my two cents at the beginning. That is not how I grew up. Oh, interesting. At all. Yeah. Considering how sporty we are now, I look at my life sometimes and think, how is this who I am? Like, our family grew up as theater people. Oh, we were. I didn't know that. My mom was an English and Latin teacher who grew up who wanted to be an actress. Like, that was her first thing she thought she wanted to do. So, we grew up doing plays and outsteadfids where you had to memorize poetry. And my brother, my brother, one of my brothers, who was on the cricket team at the time in South Africa, he had to wait so long for his time up to bat that the cricket match ran into his theater rehearsal. Oh. And he walked 
off the pitch in the middle of a cricket match to, to go, go to, to the <laughs> theater rehearsal. Okay. That is the people we are. But I married a boy from Michigan mm. who lives and breathes basketball, football, baseball, yeah. you name it, all the things. And he even has gone outside his comfort zone because my one of our sons is passionate about soccer. So now mm. Peter follows all the soccer. It's his amuse, to the amusement of his own family. Mm. <laughs> Peter's always quoting soccer statistics. But yes, so that's just the preface. We are an insanely sporty family now. We do yeah. all the sports, but trust me, it, it's not my natural territory. And it's very different from my family and how our kids are being mm-hmm. raised, not necessarily deliberately. It's just that my children have different interests. They're right. not interested in sports. And um, we've tried a few things here and there and nothing is stuck. And so right. we have accepted that that isn't our family culture. And my husband and I are frequently, usually on a Saturday morning, very relieved that that oh my is not gosh. Yes, our family as you culture. Be. And I'll be honest, if I didn't know you, and have a sort of inside glimpse into what that life is actually like for you and the value that you see in it, what your children are receiving in it, and the stories you are able to mm-hmm. tell that come out of that culture, it would be easy for me to judge a little bit and mm-hmm. or to feel a little bit superior maybe and think, oh, look at all these American families rushing around from practice mm-hmm. to practice while John and I are tending our garden. You know? <laughs> I could think well, that. classical music pays but the my Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but my favorite thing about your book, which I did not expect, my favorite essays were the essays about your experiences alongside your children in their sporting events. Why the middle of all those sports practices matter is what yes. that section is called. Yes. Because you're such a good storyteller that I was there in the moment. I was feeling the emotions of these games and these wins and these losses and the challenge and the growth. And that isn't my it has nothing to do with my life. Right. Because it's I, not about sport. It's right. the feeling. Yes. yes I and made I you feel loved, the feelings. I loved entering into that very different um, way of living, those very different experiences. And I couldn't do that if, except for this book. I couldn't mm, do it if you so weren't able to capture what really matters in those experiences and communicate it. And so, on a practical level, it has nothing to do with my day-to-day life. This is not your ordinary life in that sense. It's very different from my ordinary life. And yet, how glad I am to have read those stories, to have been moved by those stories. My experience of the world is now enlarged Mm. ever so slightly. Mm. My sympathy for um, those for athletes and for the you know the sporting life has grown because I've seen uh, that world through your eyes for a while and I think that is something that is about book reading but it's also about relationship and life mm. and how we live in this world and having empathy and understanding for those around us mm. and I think um, uh, yeah it, it's about books but it's about so much more than books oh that really it's a lot to me. How funny that after 20 years of friendship, we can still be learning things about yeah. each other that we didn't know. And I guess I just took for granted that most people understand that that's what sports does, that it's really a microcosm of life. Children aren't learning sports skills. They're learning life skills. They're mm-hmm. learning about courage and about failure and about losing and about disappointment. But how satisfying, yes, to know that I made you feel those feelings when you were reading those essays because... At the end of the day, listeners, a book is an invitation. It's a door to step into somebody else's life to, mm-hmm. I guess, as Atticus Finch would say, right, to step into their shoes and walk around in them for yes, a little bit. That's yes. what a book does. And so when we leave reviews, we are 
offering, in, in essence, our opinion on somebody else's life, on their story. And it's something I think Christy and I have learned to hold as a holy space, as mm. to treat it as um, with a sense of gratitude and even solemnity that I, I receive what you wrote, I mm-hmm. recognize the art you made, mm-hmm. and I see that it's more than just the the words on a page. This is your life. This is your story. And thank you for sharing some of it with me. So we just thank you, those of you who've left reviews on Placemaker, on Roots and Sky, on Surprised by Motherhood and Never Unfriended, and those of you that will leave reviews on The Middle Matters. And this episode isn't to just promote those books or ask for reviews at all. But since we're in the season of receiving reviews, we wanted to pay a little attention going forward to how we as a community hold one another's books. And we think about all the authors out there that we love and many that we'll never meet and we'll just admire from afar. Um, And we just treasure so much the art they've put into the world and we appreciate a community that is tender and kind when they think about the person on the other side of the pages Mm -hmm. and how it impacts the review that they leave. But you and I are totally going to drive up to Quebec one day and meet oh, Louise Penny, aren't we? We are 100% going on okay. one of those cheesy tours. We're doing the whole thing where we go okay. to the fake bookstore and we eat all the food. and Just checking. Oh, yeah. That's for sure happening. <laughs> <laughs> if you enjoyed today's conversation, why don't you take a sec right now, scroll down in your podcast app and hit that subscribe button. Which simply means that new episodes will pop up in your podcast app every week for free.